So if you have a Bible or a Bible app, you can turn with us to Deuteronomy chapter 6 and uh, verses 5 and 6, because here's what we're doing in this six-week series. It's a Hebrew word study, which means, if you don't know what that means, it means we're going to be studying these six words over the next, well, we've got five weeks left. Listen, that was last week, Shema, and that's where the word comes from. The, the name of this prayer is the Shema, which means, listen, it's that first word. Listen, O Israel, the Lord, that's the word we're going to look at today, is our God, the Lord alone, and you must love, that's week three next week, the Lord your God with all your heart, that's our fourth word, all your soul, that's week five, and all your strength. So we hope you'll join us for all six of these weeks. It's going to be a lot of fun as we dig into this ancient uh, I, like to, I like to refer to this as like kind of the, probably the closest thing we have in our culture to the Shema is the Pledge of Allegiance. How many of you remember the Pledge of Allegiance from grade school? Raise your hand. Anyone? Pledge of, how many of you could still do it if you, if you had to? How many of you could still? I think I could too. We're not going to do it because that'd be weird to do the Pledge of Allegiance in church. Um, but that's the, that's the closest thing we have in our culture to the Shema. The Shema was like a Pledge of Allegiance for the Israelite people. And I want to make sure that you understand the context for this so you don't just fall asleep on me for the next 25 minutes. Because some of you might say, I don't really see using the word Yahweh or Shema in in my everyday life. I don't speak uh, ancient Hebrew and you're not an Israelite. And so you're probably thinking, this is one of those that I could probably not pay attention to. Well, that's your choice. But here's why I think you should pay attention to it. Because the context for this whole thing was, you know, this is Deuteronomy 6. This is Moses standing at the edge of the promised land, this land that God had promised to the Israelites. And he said, he said you're about ready to go into the promised land. And when you go in there, I want to teach you this pledge of allegiance. And I want to make sure that, that parents and grandparents teach this to their kids and grandkids. And I want to make sure that generation after generation after generation of Israelites Remember these two simple verses. They're verses to us, Deuteronomy 6, chapters, or verses 4 and 5. But it's really, it was just this one simple prayer that Moses taught the Israelites to remember when they went into the promised land. And the reason for that is because when they were going into the promised land, Moses understood that, that uh, they were going to be tempted. Moses understood that they were going to be lured away by idols Moses understood that there was going to be all kinds of bondage awaiting them in the promised land, even as, they're, even as they're building their houses and planting their vineyards. He recognized that a culture that strays away from its basic values and principles is a, is a culture that is going to lose its way. And I think this is the thing that we can relate to, right? That we can lose our way as a culture if we don't remember, even today in in. 2020 in America, if we don't remember what got us here, if we don't remember what we stand for, if we don't remember what we value. So to me, I feel like this is real timely with, uh, with an election coming up, with uh, the government, I mean, all the stuff that's been going on in our, in our country in 2020. This is real timely because, the, again, the context for the Israelites standing there on the edge of the promised land, peering in, getting ready to go in, and then Moses teaches them this thing that was going to be the only thing that's probably more important to an Israelite than the Ten Commandments. This is the one thing that they would know better than the Ten Commandments is the Shema, right? 
Well, where, where they had been for the last 40 years is they were in, in bondage, in slavery in Egypt. We're going to call Egypt over here on your right and Israel, the promised land, on my right. And Moses went and he led them out of bondage and he led them to the promised land. Now, it was 40 years to get from there to here. And Deuteronomy chapter 1 says that the journey should only take 11 days. So it was supposed to take 11 days, but it took them 40 years to get from bondage to freedom. And to me, I think this really relates to us because we can take the short route to freedom, which is that. Listen, pay attention. God is God, you're not. That's the short route to freedom. The long, circuitous route to freedom is to is to complain and grumble and question God and challenge his authority. That's what they did for 40 years in the desert. That's why it took them so long to get from bondage to freedom. And here they are, you know, here they are at the, at the edge of the promised land and Moses, who had led them for these last 40 years, Moses is probably thinking, Lord, how are they going to make it in the promised land without me? How are they going to survive in the promised land without me? We barely survived in the desert. How are they going to survive in the promised land? Their problems aren't going to go away just because they have homes now in a society. Their problems aren't going to go away. And so that's why God gave them the Shema. God wanted them to remember this Pledge of Allegiance. Every morning they would say this. They would, they would say it as a family. Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord alone. How many of you know it's hard to remember who's God when things are going well in your life? It's hard to remember God. It's hard to stay focused on God when things are going well. And they're about ready to come into the land flowing with milk and honey. And so God wanted them to remember that the Lord is God, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. So that's the context for the Shema. So let's talk today about the meaning of of Lord in Hebrew. Would you pray with me one more time before we jump into this? God, I pray that you would give us the ability to hear, to really listen, to really pay attention as we study this word Yahweh and what it means. And God, I pray that there, I'm sure that there are some people in here that need freedom from bondage. I'm sure that there are many people in here who are saying, I really wanna learn this because I want to live in the promised land. And God, I know there are young people in here who are too young to understand that even yet, but I pray that you would supernaturally give them the ears to hear this and to really be responsive. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, here's the first thing as we go through this. Yahweh, the word Yahweh, and the, the video you just watched did a great job of explaining kind of how that word even came about. A Jewish person wouldn't even mention, wouldn't even utter that term out of reverence for God. Yahweh means that God is eternal and self-existent. He has always been God and he always will be. And also, one more thing, you're not. God is God, you're not. That's kind of the point, right? If we go back to that, if we go back to that verse, let's, or go back to the Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5, listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. When I read that, the more I read that and understand that, the more it reminds me of my dad and what my dad used to say when we were younger and he told us to do something, son, go take the garbage out. And I would say, why? And what would any good dad say in response to that? Because I told you so. That is what God is saying here. 
with today's word. Yahweh. The Lord is our God, the Lord alone, because I said so. What it is, it's a a claim of authority. It's an assertion of authority. And the reason God could say that is because he's eternal. The reason God can say that is because he and he alone is self-existent. The reason God can say that is because he's the one who created the whole universe and you also. The reason you even have breath in your lungs is because of God, because God said so. And yet we get this idea, we get this impression that we're in charge. We get the, this impression that we're, that we're the ones who are self-existent. And I think in, our, in the culture that we live in, in 2020, it's just being fed, spoon-fed to us. Like, do what you feel. Do, follow your heart. Do whatever you want. You know what that's saying, in essence? That's saying, you be Lord of your life. You be the unchallenged authority of your life. But I warn you, that is not going to lead to freedom. That will lead to bondage. What, what leads to freedom is saying, wait, there's someone smarter than me? Wait, there's someone stronger than I am? There's someone with more authority than what I have? Okay, wait, I'm paying attention now. This is the heart of the Shema prayer. Last night we had we had uh, Joel and Jordan Daly over. Jordan grew up here, right here at this campus. Now she and her husband, her husband's a pastor at our West Haven campus. Um, and they came over and they had little Jane over and Jane's three and a half and she's just so, she's so cute. And our daughter, who used to be three and a half, she's now 20, our daughter was over. Uh, she was back from, from college for the night so she was hanging out with us all night. So she and Jane were hanging out and it was the cutest thing. Because Jane is a bossy little one and, and Jordan warned Kenzie, my daughter, Jordan said, Kenzie, if you, if you just follow her around and do whatever she says, you'll never get rid of her. Like, she's just, like that's the formula that she loves. And Kenzie was cool with it. Kenzie like, no, I like that. I like that. So Kenzie, you know, three times the size of Jane, Kenzie's following Jane around, and Jane's like, hey, we're going to go upstairs. There's monsters upstairs, and we're going to take out the monsters. And so she's going around and she's telling Kenzie where all the monsters, there's one right there. So she had this little like toy that, she, that Jane said to tap, tap right there and that'll kill the monster. So Kenzie's following for like half an hour, following Jane around the house, killing monsters by Jane's command. And we had to laugh afterward when, when they left. We said, hey, Kenz, do you realize that was you when you were three and a half? Like that was you. And that what's funny about that is that's, I feel like that's how we are with God sometimes. Like we think that we're the ones in charge and God's following us around just doing our bidding. And I mean, that's cute and all when you see it in a three-year-old compared to a 20-year-old. But the reality is that is just an illusion. Jane wasn't in charge at all. She, doesn't rec- she didn't realize that she wasn't really in charge. She thought she was hot stuff last night, Right? And Kenzie, Kenzie had her eyes opened up because we said, that was you 17 years ago, kid. And Kenzie's like, wow, maybe my parents do know more than I know, right? God is God. We're not. And life will go so much better for us if we actually start believing that and living like that. Let's look at some scripture. Exodus 3.13, Moses said this is, this is when the Israelites were still in captivity in Egypt and Moses said to God, God was in the burning bush, if I go to the people of Israel and tell them the God of your ancestors has sent me to you to help you, to rescue you from slavery, 
They will ask me, what is his name? And he says, then what shall I tell them? In other words, Moses, this, this great leader, this, this guy that we think of who wrote you know, the first five books of the Bible, Moses at this point didn't even know God's name. He didn't even know the name of God. And he said, what should, I'll, should I tell them your name is? And I love what God said. God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Now notice these are all in caps, which means he was giving a proper name. This was the first time God uttered his name in the Bible, Exodus 3.14. I am who I am. Now that was a statement about who he was. Echweh is how it was, tra- is the real word in Hebrew. But what he said that Moses should say to the people, he said, so tell the people, I am has sent me to you. Yahweh has sent me to you. I love that this is his eternal name, the name to be remembered for all generations. I love this because there's no better, there's no better word to describe the self-existent, eternal God of the universe than just to translate the word to be, the verb to be, I am. What's your name? How do I explain this to you, Moses? I am. That's it. I am. I love this, this term. I love this sense. It's almost just, it's so simple, it's, it's hard to grasp. This is the God of the Bible. This is the God of Moses, and this is the God of the Christian church as well. Revelation 1.8 said it another way. Now that, so we just looked at Exodus, the second book of the Bible, the last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter one. God says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. Greek letters, the first letter and the last letter of the Greek alphabet, Alpha and Omega. The beginning and the end, says the Lord God. And look, and just compare this to how God introduced himself in Exodus three. He said, I am the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come, the Almighty One. God is unchanging, God is eternal, God always existed. There was never a time when God didn't exist. And there will never be a time when God won't exist. God God is the unchanging, everlasting one, and you are not. I am not. There was a time when you didn't exist. But that's not true of God because God is uncreated. I love how the psalmist said it in Psalm 90, verse two, before the mountains were born, before you gave birth to the earth and the world, from beginning to end, you are God. We see this all over the Bible. So I just showed you something from the beginning of the Bible, Exodus, from the back of the Bible, Revelation, and now from the middle of the Bible, Psalm 90. And this is the whole testimony of scripture is there's only one God and this is the God, the God of the Bible. We, by contrast, are are swept away like dreams that disappear, as the psalmist writes. We, people, are like grass that springs up in the morning. And so the psalmist prays this, teach us to realize the brevity of life so that we may grow in wisdom. I remember when I was a young teenage boy, I just thought I I was indestructible. Young men, I see some of you young men in here, that's how you feel, I get it, but just look at your dad because you're gonna grow old like me and your dad, and then you're gonna be like, why can't I see anymore? Why can't I read anymore? What is going on with my body? And you wake up with aches and grunts and groans. My wife says to me all the time, she's like, I don't remember you groaning so much when we first got married. It's because of this. We're not God. 
We're not indestructible. Our bodies fade. We're not the ones who are intended to be on the throne of our lives in spite of what our culture tells us. This is what the Bible teaches. Yahweh means that God is the only God that there is. Every religion has a concept of God, but only one God actually exists, the triune God of the Bible. Now, I understand that that statement, even as I prepared to preach this this morning, I thought, you know, that's going to probably offend some people. If you're here today and you're just sort of checking things out and you're thinking, you know, maybe, maybe I'll become a Christian. Let's just dip my toe in the water and let's, let's just see. I want to just remind you that even if you don't agree with that, that's still what the Bible teaches. There's only one God who really exists, and it's the God of the Bible. It's the Hebrew God. It's the God who met, met Moses in the burning bush. It's the God who spoke through Moses in Deuteronomy 6. It's the God who died on the cross. That's the only God, and he exists in this complex way. The word we use for it in Christian theology is trinity. He exists one God, one being, three persons. I know it's hard to understand, but it's still true. And you might say, well, I don't know if I agree with that. Okay, you don't have to agree with it, but just because you don't agree with it doesn't mean it's not true. I used to teach math, and I, I couldn't even imagine if a young person came into my math class, and after one day in the math class, if he came up, he says, look, I, I think I'm going to have to find another math teacher because I don't agree with you. You keep saying 2 plus 2 is 4, and I really feel like 2 plus 2 is 5, and so I'm going to go check some, some other math teacher out. You, that's fine. And you might possibly even find a math teacher who's going to tell you what you want, but they're not going to be a very good math teacher. Because 2 plus 2 is 4 no matter what you think about it. And the God of the Bible is the God of the universe, and that's true no matter how, yell, how loud you scream otherwise. Because God is God and you are not. And this is what the Bible teaches. So let's look at the Bible. Isaiah, Isaiah 44 Sorry, I, I, got, I went a little quick there, and I just completely lost control here. Isaiah 44, I got a backup one. Thank you. Six and eight, this is what the Lord says, Israel's king and redeemer, the Lord of heaven's armies. I am the first and the last, there it is again, just like Revelation. There is no other God. You are my witnesses. Is there any other God? No, there is no other rock, not even one. Another translation says, is there, un, is there any other God? I know of no others, is what God says. Now, if the God of the universe, who's om, omniscient, doesn't know of any other God, then I'm pretty sure there's no other gods. There's only one God. This is what the Bible teaches. There aren't multiple gods. There's only one God, and that's the heart of the Shema, and the, his name is Yahweh. Revelation, and I still don't have, I think I, maybe this Maybe I lost control here, so just follow along with me. Hebrews 13, 8 says this. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I wanted you to see that verse because I wanted you to see how that relates to what we've been talking about here, that, that the God of the Old Testament, the God of Moses, the God of Exodus and Deuteronomy, is the God whose name is Jesus in the New Testament. And Hebrews 13, Eight makes it explicit because it says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we just saw that spoken about God previously, but it also speaks it about Jesus. The answer for that in Christian theology is the Trinity. We don't have time to get into that today. But in your small groups, maybe you can dig in a little bit deeper. The, the conception of the God of the Bible is this, this God who is one being. There's not three, there are not three gods. 
They're not four gods. There are not many gods. There's one God. His name is Yahweh. But somehow this one God exists as three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. God the Father, Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit. And this is a verse that proves that out. Again, it's hard to understand, but there's no other way to understand it biblically. And this is why we believe in the triune God of the Bible. In Romans 11, I love this. This is kind of the point. This is the Apostle Paul writing. He says, oh, how great are God's riches in wisdom and knowledge. How impossible it is for us to understand his decisions and his ways. For who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who knows enough to give him advice? And who has given him so much that he needs to pay it back? For everything comes from him and exists by his power and is intended for his glory. All glory to him forever. And this is really the heart of what is behind Moses' words in Deuteronomy 6. What he's saying is this. If you could get to the place, oh mere mortal human, if you can get to the place where you can pray this prayer and you can say you are God and I'm not, you are so much higher than I am, you are so much wiser than I am, if you can get to that place, man, you will enjoy the promised land. Because the promised land is a place where you are submitted to a God who is not you. You are submitted to an authority who's not you. And could you imagine if all of the Israelites had done, submitted to that God? Could you imagine if all of the young boys and young girls grew up to be young adults, got married, and raised their kids to submit to the authority of the one God, Yahweh? Could you imagine how well it would have gone for their culture, for the Israelites? That's not how it went, by the way. Spoiler alert. After Deuteronomy 6, the people, the people came into the promised land and their, and their problems followed them into the promised land. And the reason is because they didn't submit to the Lord, Yahweh. They didn't recognize that everything comes from him and exists by his power and is intended for his glory. And instead, they just started going after their own desires. They started installing themselves on the throne of their own lives. And that, can't, that, does, that, that kind of action, especially when everybody's doing it, destroys a culture. It destroys a society. And the same is true for American culture today as it was for the Israelites thousands of years ago, and it seems like we just never can learn our lesson. The truth is, and this is kind of the point for today, as the one true God, our deepest reverence should be focused on Yahweh alone. Nothing else should take the place that only he deserves in our lives. I told you at the beginning that, that Israel or Jewish scribes wouldn't actually say the name YHWH. They wouldn't utter the name, and they did that out of reverence for God. They, they had such honor and respect for the name of Yahweh that they wouldn't even say it. In fact, I've read that the scribes would have to use a whole new, a whole new um, writing utensil in order to write those words, Y-H-W-H, to not defile it. There was such respect and honor for Yahweh, which was used 6,500 times in the Old Testament. Such respect and honor. But, it, but you get to thinking, how long before that just became sort of a, a rote ritual that really meant nothing to them? Yeah, they wouldn't say the name, but they, 
began to forget what that was really all about. That's why I want to end with this passage from Mark chapter 12. This is Jesus. This is where Jesus quotes the Shema because it says there in verse 28, one of the teachers of the religious law asked Jesus, of all the commandments, which is the most important? And remember, he's expecting Jesus to go to Deuteronomy 5 or Exodus 20, the listing of the Ten Commandments. He's saying, which of those Ten Commandments is the most important? And Jesus doesn't actually reply by giving him one of the commandments. Instead, he replies with the one thing that this religious leader would have known better than the Ten Commandments. Because it was the one thing that he said every single day, morning and evening, there with his parents in his home since the days of Moses. And it was the Shema. And so instead of, instead of listing out commandment number one or commandment number five or commandment number eight, Jesus just said this, the most important is this, listen, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, the one and only Lord. And so Jesus quotes for him the Shema, something that this guy would have, would have heard a thousand times before, a hundred thousand times before. But the question is, did this guy really get it? Did he really understand it? Or was it just ritual for him? And my question for you is, do you get it? Do you really understand that the Lord is the only God, the only rightful occupant of the throne of your life? And what would that look like for you if you really applied that to your life? Now, as we continue on in the series in these next few, few weeks, we're going to be talking about that what it should look like is that we love him. We'll talk about that next week. And we love him with all of our heart. We'll talk about what heart means. And we love him with all of our soul. That means something different than heart. And we love him with all of our strength, which means something else altogether. And we're going we're gonna to learn all these things in the next several weeks as we continue to go through this Hebrew word study. But my question for you is, are you willing to acknowledge that the Lord, that he is God and he alone is God in your life? Because if you will then just like the Israelites, it'll move you from bondage to freedom. And this is where God wants us to be. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray that you'd help us today to apply this to our lives. God, I pray that you would allow, you would allow us today to recognize that there is one God, and he's the God of the Bible. And even in our culture in 2020, when we can look and, and we can read the Bible, and we can say, oh, that just seems so antiquated, that... Those are such old concepts, and you know, it's not progressive enough. Lord, I pray that we would never stray from these simple truths that were spoken thousands of years ago to your people, the Israelites. Now today, I pray that your people, the church, followers of Jesus today, God, that we would be attentive and that we would listen and that we would allow you to be truly, truly the Lord of our lives. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen.